As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Big Cats dance to own Samba Beat in Sao Paulo 1-2-3 podium party. Van Dorn vulnerable and vanquished in peculiar peloton pack palava. Buemi negates knuckle nightmare in never say die point performance. And Maserati points famine continues as Rossiter rues another ruinous wretched race ruckus. Welcome everybody to the Races Formula E podcast. I'm Jack Nichols and I'm delighted, well, I'm fairly happy to have with me the Races man in the paddock, Sam Smith, but I am delighted to have Sam Bird, the Jaguar TCS racing driver and podium finisher last time out in Sao Paulo with us as well. Uh, oh, you're both called Sam. I've just realised this is going to be an issue. Bird, we will, we will start with you. Thanks for joining us. What a, what a, what a weekend in Sao Paulo. Yeah, thanks, Nichols. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, amazing, amazing event, I think, by Formula E. I think it was really well received. Fans loved it. I think we, as drivers, gave them a really entertaining race. And and for Jaguar as a group, not only Jaguar TCS Racing, my team, but for Jaguar as a group to, to lock out the podium was just amazing. Everybody was so over the moon everybody back at base um who's worked so hard this is just reward for all of their hard work and you know what jack um you know the last couple of races <laughs> have been uh tough and challenging to say the least but this is a a huge step in the right direction for not only myself but for the whole team it's been threatening smith hasn't it the whole the whole year it has, yeah. I think I just want to point out as well to our dozens of listeners that uh, those headlines are written by me <laughs> at the top of the show. We got a few nice comments in the paddock about them, so uh, we just want to take credit for those first off. But no, and to be fair, I I always say that you've done them as well. I never I never claim of to course have, you do. to have written them. Yeah, no. I mean, in terms of Jaguar's performance, yeah. I mean, we all knew it was coming. It was just a question of when it was going to come. Um, don't forget their season kind of didn't really kick off until Riyadh. They had such a such a 
difficult time at Mexico City, and then we all know what happened at Hyderabad, and then and then Cape Town too, with with extraordinary circumstances. But they came through and they they exploited their potential and their package, which um, we we all fully expected. And and the hope now is, of course, for Sam and and the team is that they can kick on, use that momentum, and and really get stuck into what is, I think the big story is the the sort of concertina of the the point situation because Verline hasn't scored big in the last two races and, and Dennis hasn't at all so there's a nice title plot thickening there and um yeah and and Sam and Mitch are obviously very capable of of joining that party very soon well yeah that's the question Sam are you in title contention I don't see any reason why both myself and Mitch can't fight for this title um, we both have the machinery and we've both showcased great pace. Um, uh, pretty much every single track. Okay. Me- Mexico, I, I didn't really drive. Um, but every single, every single time the car has hit the track, we've been, we've been threatening the top three or four positions, um, in every session in qualifyings. Um, so, I don't see any reason why not. It's going to need a huge effort. It's going to need no mistakes because obviously the Porsche drivers had uh, an amazing start to the year. Pretty much, you know, everybody thought that they would go and win every single race. Now they've had a difficult patch. They'll come good again, but we need to, we need to make hay while we can, while we're on a good vein of form. And hopefully Berlin will be kinder to us this year than it has been over the last previous couple. What was, was there anything different for you and the team in in Sao Paulo, or is it like no, sort of just luck? No, no, it's not luck. It's definitely not luck because every every everybody's been working extremely hard, and we believed in our philosophies and and what we were well, doing. My, I think my point was more with the rest all bad luck. You know what I mean? And that just yeah, didn't I, affect I would, you this weekend. Well, we learned a lot from Saudi, and then. You know, look, India was my mistake. India was completely my fault. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't really say anything else about it, Jack. It was, it was a poor effort. Uh, sorry, a poor mistake from an experienced driver that you that shouldn't happen. I think South Africa. I was disappointed in. I'm still disappointed in in what happened in South Africa because I don't think that that should happen in our level of motorsport but look it's it's happened now and it's it's passed i can't change it um but i never stopped believing in the team and 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 to be fair as well i, I didn't stop believing in myself because i know that the speed is there like i've shown it all year and and so has mitch and this was as you guys have said this was going to happen at some point but it's so brilliant that it was a one two three sam do you want to add anything to that um I think it's it's funny motorsports one of those things where momentum is key I mean especially in Formula E because it's so inconsistent anyway and it's so easy to get into troughs I mean you know Sam's been Sam's been in a couple in his well more than a couple probably but other drivers have so have you to be fair (laughs) but um, yeah and there's no way of digging myself out of of this one especially if people knew the um, recording shambles that we had prior to this starting (laughs) but no I mean it's Formula E is I mean it's a cliche now but it is so brutal in terms of drivers occasionally making mistakes and it's so 
public in the sense that if you do make a mistake, you're going to hit somebody or something, you know, you're going to hit a wall. You haven't got huge, um, huge runoff zones or, or gravel or whatever to go through. You're in the wall and, and Sam has suffered that. And I think the interesting thing for me is how drivers deal with that and fight back from it. And, and in Sam's case, you know, he's had to do that a few times in his former career. Some sink, some swim. Um, we've seen that, you know, drivers have come and gone. XF1 drivers have come and gone because they've got into that that pit and not been able to come out. So, yeah, I think, I think all power to the drivers that do come out of it because it takes a massive amount of concentration, dedication and, and steel to, to make sure that you do come out of that um and you know sam sam's race just just going into sam's race quite a bit you know starting 10th and coming through I, I had my eye on him during the race behind Vern because the key to this race and we're going to come on to that i think shortly was obviously to sit in the draft as much as possible so that you could um you could manage your energy accordingly and, and sam did that predominantly behind Vern, but but others too and then when it sort of the race freed itself up and you got this Evans and Cassidy breakaway. You know, Sam was able to join that by clearing, I think, Stoffel and then and then De Costa in in quick succession. And then it was all about this this dash to the flag after this brewing pot boiling uh, peloton style of racing, which was extreme at uh, Sao Paulo, probably the most extreme I've seen in Formula E. Um, whether that's good or bad, we're going to debate that. I'm sure. Um, I tend to think it's it's good. I enjoy it, and I think it adds a, a big strategic element upon all the other strategies and and um, setup and all the other challenges the drivers face. So it's multifaceted racing. And yeah, Sam 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 did it. But interestingly, when I spoke to Sam in the pen media pen after the race, he he touched on the fact and also on TV that you know he was conservative with Hyderabad in mind. And I guess Sam that was that was inevitable, wasn't it? In some sense. Yeah, of course. And you know, we as a as a team and Jaguar as a group, this is the first year that we've had a customer team. We've never been in a position like that before, where there's the opportunity to get uh, lock out a podium. Um, and with India in mind. Can you imagine if I'd been the one to try and slide it down the inside of Nick and got it wrong and collected all three cars, for example? It 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 just couldn't have happened. So, you know, it was it was about scoring the best points I could for the team, which on Saturday was was a third place. How so we'd heard many times in Formula E, I remember the first one being uh, season seven Valencia, I think it was, where everyone's like, you don't want to lead this race. If you lead the race, you're not going to win. And Jake Dennis led from the front and won. And then we've heard it many other times. Oh, it's, this is going to be, oh, you don't want to lead this race. And it's never really quite materialized. It was so dramatic, Sam, in Sao Paulo. Sort of why was that? I mean, we had people, I can't remember, I think it was Da Costa went from third to first on the right. You know, people were desperate to not lead the race in a way that, We've not seen it quite that sort of literally before. I think that the toe effect in this Gen 3 car is far more extreme than we saw in the Gen 2 car. Um, the way that you gain extra speed. And was that is that is was that anticipated or did that just sort of did you learn that as the season progressed? Because you, you don't obviously you're not running them in a wind tunnel and stuff. Well, no, we so cast your mind back to race two in Saudi. And I was pretty keen to get into the lead um, in front of Seb. Now, I, 
I was told on the radio in Saudi after six, six or so laps, you're half a percent up on Seb. And I just thought that was down to general pace and being good around Saudi. So I then overtook for the lead and tried to build a gap. But by doing that, I'm then pushing the air. Um, you know, I'm, I'm punching the hole for everybody else. And it became so much harder to hit the targets when you're leading than when you're in second. And then it's even easier in third and fourth and fifth, especially if you're grouped together as a group. And we got the first glimpses of it there. So, and then Mitch felt the same thing the following day when he led in Saudi on, on day two there. Um, and we, we've, we've kind of learned from that, but not had the opportunities in India and, and Cape Town to, to deliver a better race plan for many reasons, obviously. And this was the first time that we could really learn from our experiences early doors. But it is so extreme. Um, the way that the, the speed of the car is a lot higher when you're in the tow, which then means that you can lift earlier and then recuperate energy earlier and then recoup more. So not only are you gaining in a straight line, but you're recuperating more because you're coming from a higher speed and lifting earlier. So it's, it's basically a win-win. Have we ever seen this before, Sniffer, in like motorsport, like a bit at the Indy 500 and some ovals. Maybe you sit in the draft and save a bit of fuel, but but never never anything. This is like kind of a new way of motor racing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is in a sense. I mean, you're, you're right in saying that oval racing has that, but obviously doing it on a street track is, is a completely different challenge i mean just to give you a few additional reasons why we're having why we had that race i mean a lot is to do with the configuration of of the track the nature of the track long straights pretty staccato high breaking corners conjoined with the highest ever percentage um that was needed for saving it was around 35 percent of of, of saving needed you know the previous highest of this season was cape town which was 19.8 so it was a really tough energy saving race um don't forget as well that the season started with 41 kilowatt hours of usable energy and that has, was reduced to 40 for Riyadh as well so all these factors combined to make it this uber saving uh race where you really didn't want to be um leading the event i mean stoffel van Dorn said much much of that when he was leading um throughout the first phase of the race as well so i mean it goes back to what the championship wants does it does it want to have this kind of racing which is inherent to to what formula e should be and obviously it gives message great messages to the the automotive strands of the manufacturers that are in the championship but occasionally i think it's good from a personal point of view i, I like it i think it's great but you need variety you also need the odd flat out race if the circuit allows i mean london's the difficult one really because the nature of that track and the sort of tight confines of it often makes a um a flat out race with the, the the amount of usable energy available so it's a, it's a kind of a real balance uh, a sort of getting the sums right in a way but i thought overall i mean the the fact is if everyone's talking about the race and how great it was and you've got a few detractors which there were um everyone's talking about what, it. Where, what were the what were the detractors i didn't really hear much 
Does yeah, we run a we run a piece today actually, which um, I spoke to Antonio Felix de Costa and Stoffel van Don, who obviously, you know, I think they they quite enjoyed the race, but they didn't get the result. So it's one of those classic examples of whoever you ask, um, you know, who finished uh, on the podium is is going to enjoy that type of racing. I think the guys near the back probably didn't because they knew they were sat in a draft, and you got this concertina effect, and you. Again, the nature of the track, we have these complexes at turn one, turn two, and then was it four and five where you have these these kind of quickish chicanes or um, or complexes. There was the inevitable accidents as people backed off and it just became a yin and yang sort of thing. So the, the, there's good and bad from the competitor's point of view, but from the from the consumers, from the, the people watching on TV and the people uh, us at the track, you know, I can count on my on one hand um, the amount of times that you've heard whoops of delight and and an interest and an excitement from people in the the media center and the media center was alive with enjoying that race, which is great because the same in the grandstands and it's great for Formula E that we have this you know we we have this complex intriguing pot boiler of a race and it you know eventually came down to that last lap three-way shootout didn't it so uh, you know there aren't many championships in the world that offer that kind of excitement in races i've got a sorry i'll I'll jump in there sam um i've got to say that when the gen 3 car came out i was questioning um the vehicle but i've got to say that it has absolutely stood up to what Formula E absolutely needs. We are, at the end of the day, we are the entertainers, the drivers are the entertainers. And our whole point is to entertain crowds and bring in people to come and watch um, an entertaining form of motorsport. And I think that the car that we have right now um, is absolutely delivering great races. You know, you look at the last one, okay, there'll be some drivers that are disappointed with the race, but nobody can deny that if you look at it from an outsider's perspective, you can't you can't sit there um, and say that it wasn't exciting. The same goes for Cape Town. I mean, I watched Cape Town back. It was a thrilling race. I mean, the end, the end, you were sitting on the edge of your seat thinking, is De Costa going to hold on? Um, you look at the races in Saudi, um, lots going on many different plots and twists and turns you've you had the Porsches coming through and it was exciting forms of motorsport it's not conventional but Formerie never has been so I think that the Gen 3 car is really delivering um what we want and that is high class entertainment um in electric vehicles I think just uh, yeah, I mean, completely agree, Sam. And the the interesting thing is, and I'm not, I'm genuinely not one to compare Formula E with Formula Wrong, Formula One. Oh, here we go, here we go again. No, but like, you know, you, you won't find me doing that at all. And I, ne- I never did no, I when know. when there was comparisons with Monaco. It's just a a false a false narrative completely. But but interestingly, you look at Formula One now, and, and my colleague Damien Smith wrote an excellent article on motorsport. Um, the motorsport magazine website today which made the very good point that and, and i know you guys um obviously um work together in, on five live For, formula one is possibly facing one of its less um interesting seasons let's say if the red bull dominance continues which we expect it will for at least the first half whereas formula e is uh, is giving multiple 
Pulsitter's multiple winners, multiple threads throughout its um, narrative of a season from a championships perspective. And I'm not I'm not comparing and I'm not going to evaluate either, but it'll be interesting to see if Formula E can harness the great shows it's putting on week after week into actually finally breaking through to a bigger audience. That's the bigger picture for me. And and the hope is that it that it does, because it's just fantastic motor racing. Um has its detractors, always will have, but the fact is <laughs> it's just great motor racing. I mean, and end of really. I think what Formula E is doing really well at the moment is it is delivering great races and it's and it's doing its talking on the track, Formula E. I think Formula One is so slick. I mean, it looks incredible. The paddock looks phenomenal. Um, the grandstands are now always full because um, certain programs on certain uh, networks. Um, it's, it, it is a well-run, well-oiled machine. But is it thrilling and is it super uh, is it as exciting i mean you look at how many lead changes there were in in the last race and that that i don't think that would ever happen in a formula one race i don't think it has ever happened i don't think it will ever happen um it it might cater for a slightly different audience and it might cater for a, a different fan base but we are delivering great racing um and, and that, that's what we're there to do. It, I don't think it it needs to be as as slick as as Formula One. It'd be great if it was. The teams certainly operate at as high a level as Formula One, given the budgets that 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 we have. Um, and maybe one day we can get there. Maybe that's uh, you know, you know filling filling grandstands with a hundred thousand people. Maybe that's something we can aspire to do. But. I think that Formulary has been through um, not a tough couple of years, but Formula One sort of burst onto the scene again, didn't it, with Drive to Survive and became uber popular um, over the last sort of four or five years because of that. And we were gaining momentum still until Drive to Survive came along. But I, I actually really feel like, you know, people, people were judged Gen 3 car and now people are coming to realize oh, this racing is really quite fun it's quite exciting and entertaining and i think the formula is going back up again yeah i'd agree with that uh sam just before we let you go uh sao paulo as a as an event what did you what did you make of it i thought it was awesome i thought it was really cool i'm forward to going back again next year but um you know we, we as drive we we were put on this kind of samba float <laughs> yeah uh, which then turned into a podium, which was really cool. Um, at the end of the race, um, the grandstands were full, which is always lovely. I'd love to see more grandstands around the back of the circuit because most of them, I think all of them, were down the front straight. I'd love the fans to have the opportunity to see us through some of the corners, especially more of the overtaking zones. I don't know whether that's going to be possible. Um, but yeah, amazing, amazing fans. I think quite noisy, quite into Formula E. And you know, when you for a race like really exciting, it'll it'll attract more fans the following year. Did you get to ride on the giant uh, Pepe Mache Jaguar, Sam? And what was it like? I did ride a giant Jaguar Pepe Mache. <laughs> I was quite nervous actually when we were on the podium after 
after the celebrations, all of Jaguar came on the podium and we were bouncing around. And you could see um, Alberto Longo just going, no, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, wait, too much weight with like 40 people on this like thing bouncing up and down. It was, it was great fun, great noise. Like you really felt... Um, a great energy there. I can I can see why they hold the um the the famous thing down. Carnival, yeah. Carnival down is it is quite special. Awesome. Right. Well Sam, thank you so much for, for joining us. We'll let you go while we talk about Max Gunter and stuff. Uh unless you want to stay and hang around and chat about Max Gunter with us. But we'll we'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us and uh uh best of luck for uh Berlin. Take care guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. Is versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Right, Sam Bird has left the the chat, so we can say whatever we want about him now. But to be honest, we we he's he's the kind of guy you can you can say it to his face. Um, we haven't really discussed the race winner yet, Mitch Evans. Really solid drive from from Evans and Sam. He's led he's led two races already this season, but then in leading those races, as we kind of touched on earlier, ran out of energy, or then they tried to be sometimes a bit, not too clever Jaguar, but take an attack mode to drop back into the pack and then they get caught and then it doesn't work out. But finally, all all executed very well. Yeah, it was kind of similar in, in a sense to last season, wasn't it? He came away from the first three races with, I think, one point. Um, yeah. He got, at least he got a bit more than that in the opening races, although... In terms of the way Mitch likes to run races, it was you know it's far from far from where he wanted to be and where the team wanted to be. They turned that around obviously last weekend. They've always had the potency to to do what they did to to win races. You always felt 
if it hadn't been for penalties, if it obviously hadn't been for, for Sam's error in Hyderabad, Mitch would have been there or thereabouts. And it came to be. It was a well-judged race. He he and Cassidy were very, very similar on pace. Cassidy could easily have won that race. I mean, if he'd have got the break prior to 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 when Mitch really kicked on then Cassidy could have could have won that race it was so super close um interestingly what nobody really picked up was the fact that that Mitch had a massive scare um he had a really strange sound in his powertrain from early on in the race and it sort of cleared and then came back and he was he was very worried on the radio and his team couldn't trace what it was so that was that was something to be dealt with and i I caught up with mitch actually afterwards and and just asked him in a bit more detail about this this issue which gave him a few uh palpitations shall we say as the race went on Halfway through the race, you said you had a bit of a problem with the cars, I mean, with the powertrain, you felt tight enough or something. Was, was it a warning light or something you saw? No warnings, okay. but um, I could hear, I could, about, probably after the first safety car, I could hear something in the powertrain, just, you know, it was like a, a no change. Um, almost something was like, not grinding, but it wasn't, something wasn't happy. Um, and not, I've not, never noticed that before. And it just sort of progressed from the, from the start, sorry, to the first phase, and it kind of, Got a little bit worse, and it sort of just stabilised. Um, and I thought at one point I was derating, um, but I wasn't. I think it was just maybe I was in, in, in clean air, so I was not getting the toe effect. But it was it was kind of hard to know. But I was quite convinced that there was some sort of problem. Luckily, it didn't get any worse, and I was, it didn't hinder the performances. So yeah. So Evans then came through to take the win, despite those uh, those concerns. We had Sam Bird saying, you know, there's no reason he and Mitch now can't be in title contention. And what I will find interesting is that intra-team sort of scenario between Bird and Evans, because they are they are back to being very evenly matched after maybe a, a sort of blip year last year for, for Bird. Are they going to have to... Do they need to kind of back one driver if they really want to, to get in the championship fight? Or is Formula E not that straightforward? I don't think it is. I think if you start orchestrating things, as DS to Cheetah seemed to prove every second race at times, didn't they, in, their, in some of their campaigns, it, get, it gets complicated, it gets messy, and people get confused. They're probably best doing what they've been doing so far. I mean, there will be people that will say, well, you know, Sam Bird owes Mitch one after Hyderabad, but racing doesn't work like that, and nor should it. I think it will be interesting if, if they both start to get big points and haul themselves up to the... Um, up into championship contention with the Porsche and Andretti drivers. I mean, just looking at the table now, actually, Bird is sixth and Evans is ninth, and they're they're separated by five points. So, no, uh, they will continue as they are doing and pick up as many team points as possible. I think in I think the championship will. There will become a definitive pattern, I think, probably around Jakarta time when we get into that summer period of of then Portland and then two double headers to finish the season. That's, I think, when, if any, big discrepancies and gaps will start to play on the minds of James Barkley and and Florian Modlinger, etc., to see if they can actually prioritise a driver. But it's way too early for all that. I mean, you know, the championship isn't really forming particularly yet and it's all bunching up so no and you know I, I made a point in a piece I did after the race that actually whereas the Hyderabad situation could have become toxic if 
grudges were held. Actually, I just sent, speaking to both Mitch and Sam, and, and you know, Sam was the first to go and heartily congratulate Mitch after the, the, the checker flag, which was great. I actually think that their relationship seems to be stronger, in a sense, in a way, after that Hyderabad incident where, you know, Sam was obviously left with no alternative but to profusely apologise, which he which he did. So I think because they're so honest with each other and seem to be honest, very honest as a team, I think that will probably work to their advantage. But but who knows? I mean, we've said that before of many drivers, haven't we? And they, they all yeah. seem to fall out and squabble over each other. But I just get the sense that, you know, they're two ultra-professionals, two pretty, well, very experienced now in Formula E terms. And um, I think they'll be able to, to look after themselves. Uh, second in the race was Nick Cassidy. So a Jaguar powertrain, one, two, three. Only once before, I think, as a manufacturer locked out the podium, which was Mercedes with Venturi and, and Mercedes EQ in... Uh, I think they finished, yeah, in Berlin. They finished one, two, three, four, I think. They did. They? Um, so that's the only time it's happened before. So Cassidy was in there in second place. Uh, you mentioned him a moment ago. Is he, a, I mean, well, I guess he's obviously a title contender but i never see him in the races i feel like i never see cassidy until even when he was leading in sao paulo you sort of didn't really see him and then suddenly you're like oh he's going to get a podium that's yeah, kind of how yeah. it's felt the last three races he's stealthy isn't he which is yeah. you know which is how you win championships the big question for me might just be is he doing what van dorn did last season is he mm. the sort of you know, the, the silent assassin who can win a race but also win a title. I mean, he's the last three races, that's exactly what he's doing. Two second places and a third. Um, I think there's only one race he's not scored points this season. So that fits in with that sort of vibe. Um, we're seeing the, the points being split a bit less so far, I think, with, you know, we've got generally four Porsches, four Jags and... And a, and a couple of DSs really taking the big points at the moment. Um, so yeah, I you know it's, it's a stealthy, consistent Kiwi, and I think he's got a real platform now where he can really manage to stitch a challenge together for the title. You'd have got mega odds, wouldn't you, on Cass winning the title at the start of the season? Yeah, um, because he he just wasn't been talked about. But I think I think his hype will will go on and on and, and obviously his teammate uh, Sebastian Bemi, Buemi who's quick but isn't getting the points for various reasons um, which probably just segues as nicely into um, his latest trials and tribulations uh, Jack does it? Yeah well you just do it you don't need me on the podcast you can just segue <laughs> yourself into into everything I like it yeah Buemi I couldn't believe he'd come back to finish 10th I didn't it's one of those where I didn't really realize it until I think the next day and I was looking at the results because, you know, that's what I enjoy doing. And te but he got absolutely, he was dead last, wasn't he? After the opening yep. lap or whenever he had his shunt. Well, very similar to Cape Town, wasn't it? You know, he, he was, he was yeah, last. Yeah, how did he finish fifth in Cape Town? He got absolutely cleaned out on the opening lap. I know extraordinary but this time he had a bit of pain to deal with because he he smashed his hand in a slightly less dramatic than robin frein style but I, I saw him afterwards and he had a, one of his knuckles with the size of a cadbury's cream egg i mean yeah other other easter based confectionery is available but <laughs> mini this, eggs i love mini eggs yeah well it was a mini egg sized um abrasion or bruise or whatever you call it on his on his i think his right hematoma knuckle. who was he driving for 
<laughs> no, I, I mean, he, he, it was he's a nasty... Fi- he's filling in for Andre Lotter in Jakarta. <laughs> it was a nasty injury. Uh, I know he had a he had an x-ray. He saw Dr. Uh, Francescini at the track. Then he flew home on Sunday, Saturday night, had an x-ray the next day, yet to hear uh, what state his hand's in, but it was heavily bandaged. Um, so hopefully, yeah, he's going to be all right because in a few weeks he's got Portimao Weck, Berlin Formula E, Spa Weck, and Monaco Formula E is a quadruple header. So he needs to be fit and ready for for that lot, that's for sure. But great drive, you know, adrenaline kicked in and he came through, grabbed a point. But again, when I spoke to him, he was super disappointed because he knew that with the car that he had, the Jaguars were, 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 were obviously predominant in that race and he should have got his first podium of the season, I think. And uh, sort of got a little bit of um, payback for that Hyderabad uh, podium that was snatched away from him so unfairly. And I had a chat, Jack. Okay, I while thought I remember, what you were going to do. <laughs> while I remember my slick link into his interview, I had a chat with a still slightly agitated uh, Sebastian after the race. Oh, he cut the chicken on his own. Yeah. So the rule says if you cut the chicken on your own, you need to stop, then you can go again. But she would have lost the position. He went flat out all around. He didn't give the position. And then uh, the next corner, he stopped in turn four. Stopped, like, like stopped. Yeah. So I, I got behind and I snapped my hand. Should not even have been there, you know, because yeah. if he would have respected the rule, would have been behind. So if he hadn't been cleaned out on the opening lap in Cape Town and had that sort of concertina accident in Sao Paulo and had that harsh penalty in Hyderabad, he'd be right up there, Boemi. I know everyone, all the drivers can say ifs and buts and whatever, but yeah, I think Boemi's on on some really strong form. Uh, Let's go for our top two in the title next. Pascal Verlein, 18th on the grid, had a grid drop for hitting Buemi in Cape Town. So that's why he was down in 18th. But he only qualified uh, on the eighth row of the grid, I think. I think he was due to be 15th or 16th, depending on whoever won the final. Came through to finish seventh. There was one point I thought, Verline's going to win this here. And then it all kind of disappeared because I think he still had to take his attack modes. But solid enough drive through the field from Verline. Yes, he did it again, didn't he? He did it in Hyderabad as well after his free practice accident. And... I don't know what happened in qualifying. I never got a satisfactory explanation. I don't think he made a massive mistake. He just he, just he kind didn't... of he hit the wall a bit at turn. Oh, did exit of turn eight? Okay. Not like, but not enough to break the car, but enough to lose time. I think. Yeah, I I, I mean he he was I know he was disappointed with the the one lap pace of the car through the um through the sims he did in free practice too. Uh, just didn't happen for him. But he he made up loads of positions on the first couple of laps, um, and then he had this damage to the floor of his Porsche when Jake Dennis um, inadvertently hit him. This was um, inspired, let's say Dan Tictum inspired knock on, and, and Dennis <laughs> delivered the contact, which we'll we'll mention in a, in a bit, I think. And that that damaged his floor a bit, and he he did take it as an unusual strategy in that he took both of his attacks really late, which I didn't quite understand. But anyway, I think really it was the floor damage that probably hampered him a bit and he, he was stuck behind his teammate, uh, Da Costa, and, and came in behind him. So, yeah, but again, the fact is when you don't qualify well and you have, you're fighting the car a little bit to get points as he did, as per Hyderabad, then again, I'm sure looking if when we get to the end of July and we're... Um, 
we're at Excel and we're looking back on the championship, it might just be that these performances are the ones that got the necessary points to, you know, for him to, to possibly be uh, Porsche's first champion. But yeah, again, a long way to go. But it's just got the feeling of that, that those kind of up against it performances where it, it might just be in Pascal's favour at the end of the season. Yeah. Dennis uh, second then got wiped out by Dan Tictum. Um I don't really think Dennis was necessarily coming through the field anyway, but still called him a plonker. Yeah, I mean, you know, is is there, is there a more uniquely British insult than that? <laughs> I mean, I've not heard that for years, but uh, yeah, quite amusing, really. Um, I mean, to be fair to Tictum, he did, he did apologise to, to Dennis. Um later on which, which which was obviously good and obviously needed because it was just a a, a big big screw up unfortunately from from Danny he, he got onto the non rubbered in part of that surface which you you you, were, you not felt it or saw it Jack but the the surface in that sort of sambadrome area was weird it was it almost felt like a sort of um you know one of those I know you're a raver you know the spongy floors you get in Clubs, oh yeah, where you can have a bit of a bounce around. Um, that's what it seemed like. It was sort of painted grey, and it was it felt that way. It was a really odd surface. And it, interestingly, I spoke to the to the Hancock guys on the grid, and they said that the track surface there was ten percent cooler than it was on the other surface that was mostly used on the track. So, you know, there was there was a bit of um, there was a bit of strategy at play there in terms of the the tire temperatures too. But yeah, I mean when you got off the rubbered in bit, it was, you know, you were you were straight to the scene of an accident as as Tictum uh, proved. So, you know, broke Dennis's rear suspension then he he he, he smashed into Verline very messy. Um second time in two uh second time in three races that Dennis has been turfed off by by others so he rightly felt a little bit slighted to say the least and yeah he sort of unleashed a bit of um he vented a little bit at the end which was you know entirely entirely understandable in the circumstances Stoffel van Dorn looked like he was kind of back in the mix but starting on pole position and it just looked as though I don't know it just looked as though he sat at the front using all of his energy everybody else said yeah fine do that and then he had no energy. Like it, it seemed like really simple from the from the yeah. outside. Was there anything more complicated to it? I don't think so. No, I think he just got ultimately <laughs> compromised by being in front and dictating the pace too much, and and that lack and didn't of... want to kind of give it up. I, I I suppose was seemingly like the team and he, or and he or or he seemed to think that that was the best way to go right. Because then we saw, as we discussed earlier with Sam, all the peloton stuff of people bailing out of you know, desperate to try and lose the lead, whereas Van Dorn didn't seem too too fussed. Yeah. Yeah, it was a curious one. But you know, he's he's been um quite conservative in races. I think what he's doing is he's applying what he did last season. And I'm not sure that's entirely always the right way to go. But the the fact was that he he was dictating the pace too much. Uh, the the lack of toe effect just really hurt him and uh, you know Sam as you said mentioned it before in Gen 3 it seems to be a, a very it seems to be detrimental much more if you're not if you are the one punching a hole in the air and when you add it up lap after lap it can be very de- detrimental to, to the energy consumption obviously so yeah I mean he um where did he finish was he sixth in the end 
think Van Dorn was sixth. Yeah, wasn't sixth. He? Yeah, six. So he's kind of having these results of you know been between sort of sixth and ninth. I think generally this season. So it's kind of he's consistently scoring points, but they're not big points. So he's well, and normally they're coming from the back of the field, and he gets up to eighth yeah. or seventh, and you go, ah, oh, yeah, not a bad drive. Whereas this one was. You know, he just keeps kind of naturally finding himself in this in this mid points position. Yeah, exactly. No matter whether he starts at the front or the back. Yeah, and he's sixty six points off Verline now, so in all reality, he's not going to defend his championship. Um, they've got a quick car, um, and it is improved since the start of the season. The team's doing a very fine job in exploiting it, but Verne never looked like getting into the top three, did he? Uh, no. as well so it just didn't really work for for ds penske uh on that occasion but i mean great qualifying lap by the way you know stoffel's qualifying performance was terrific and, and a big improvement on what he's got so far so he'll take away from sao paulo enough i think to um to, to be winning races this year i actually doubted that i think i said i doubted that ds penske would would win a race and then it was immediately proved wrong <laughs> by, by Vern's win in hyderabad I expect Stoffel to, to win a, a race or two this season and um, and DS Penske to come back fighting. But, the, you know, when you look at the points table now for Stoffel, it looks like, um, yeah, it looks like very, very difficult to defend his title now. Uh, da Costa finished fourth, having uh, been very quick in, in free practice. He was sort of back on, because again, the Cape Town win came from outside the top 10 on the grid. Only the second time that's ever happened in Formula E. What did you? He was sort of in the mix, but just, but also not, not quite really. And he was, he was running at the front, but then as everything kind of settled down, he got cut adrift. And when Bird overtook him for third, he just Bird sort of disappeared up the road, and Antonio was just left there, pootling around, fighting with Verne. Never, never really in contention, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it all hinged around that crucial mistake he made at turn one, where he locked up and then had to oh, stop. Oh yeah, um, that really, that really compromised his race i think it was looking good up until then I, he, he could he, he would have been in that fight for for at least a podium if not challenging mitch i think um he was quick enough ran a very, really nice race was was cute in the in the the aspects of banking energy and just being in the right positions and then just grabbed the break and um you know i think from the outside it's quite difficult to understand just how even now, how difficult it is even though we don't actually see the manifestation of lockups, these yeah. things these things are still happening. It's still complex for the the drivers to to break. I mean, pe- you know, people know that there are no rear brakes, traction brakes on the car, but there are at the front, and it, it works in conjunction with brake by wire. And then you've got the front MGU. It's extremely complex, and it occasionally catches drivers out. And unfortunately, it did for Antonio there, and it cost him. Um, and the frustrating thing was that, unlike Max Gunter, he he had to you know he stopped. He he did what Scott Elkins told him to do, and stopped before rejoining. And it cost him two or three positions. And from there, it was always going to be difficult. He got he probably did the maximum he could of getting fourth place. And uh, it was a bit of a rueful Antonio that I spoke to after the race, and and he told me about that that locking up episode into into the turn one complex and to be honest uh, i thought i was playing it perfect you know i could see what was going on i know what everybody wanted to do and and i had a plan and i thought i was doing 
a perfect job. I was slightly down on energy to Mitch, but I knew when, when he committed to go, he was going to burn that, and I, was, I would have been there, and I would have gotten it back. So, honestly, close to a perfect race, except for my mistake in turn one, where I went straight, and we decided together with the race director that, that if you cut a chicane, you have to come to a complete stop to obviously not gain any, any energy. And I did that and went from second to seventh, and that obviously compromised my race a lot, man. And, uh, yeah, it sucks because I, I mean I'm not saying I would have won the race, but I would have been in that little group there with in the top three. And then I got Jeff, and I still thought I could have caught the group, and I locked up again. So to be honest, there's a few things we need to understand why. Like we're fixing most of our problems, but there's still a, a little road to, to to do, and really to make sure that these things never happen again. So Da Costa is still uh, fifth in the championship, but only four points off Jake Dennis in second place now. So he's very much not out of the title race. If we consider anyone to be in the title race, then they're all in it. You, you see what I mean? Like, because if you if you think Verline's lead of twenty points uh, isn't that much, which it which it isn't actually, because actually now I think about it, how many drivers? Well, yeah, Dennis. Oh, no, it's not 20 points, is it? Well, my maths is terrible. 24 points of Verline's advantage up at the front. But you've got five drivers now. The top five are separated by less than a Poland race wins worth of points. You know, so you, you can't, you, you know, De Costa could get ahead of Verline in one race in Berlin if he took Poland and won the race and Verline didn't finish. So even though Verline looks like he's got that little advantage, and he does, it's not insurmountable by any stretch. No, not at all. And I think, you know, when you look at the hierarchy, it's definitely Porsche and Jaguar. But of course, that that's eight cars. I mean, let's call it seven because Andre Lotter is having an absolute stinker of a season, isn't he? I mean, he's yeah. just gone missing, unfortunately. Um, and he will literally at Jakarta, of course. But I think you look at Buemi, who, you know, he's got one of the top cars and he's on the cusp of that, isn't he? He's in. He's just behind Sam. On he's on forty-two points. Sam's on. Sam Bird's on forty-four. They are the two that that, and obviously Mitch Evans too, who's slightly further behind on thirty-nine. They are the three drivers that you would say at the moment should be able to penetrate that top top three after a succession of races. The unknowns for me, just going back to DS Penske, are them because they just seem slightly inconsistent in applying their package let's say and i think Vern and um and van dorn to a lesser extent but certainly jean eric Vern. you look at his last three races his points have been very good the win obviously in hyderabad the second place in cape town and then he, he got the um the fifth i think didn't he fifth place in sao paulo so he's got some consistency now um but it's going to be super close. I just wonder if it's going to be one of those seasons where, although to a slightly lesser extent to the 2021 season when De Vries won it in that mm. that mad season, if it's going to be a bit more like that, which would be great. You know, It's always nice to have a, a proper storyline, isn't it, of two or three going for it. But I, I just get the feeling that, that Verline, Dennis, Cassidy, Vern, De Costa, Bird, Evans, possibly Buemi, but certainly... That uh, that seven there that I mentioned are going to be cap- well will win races and naturally thrust them thrust themselves into the into the top top headlines of the the championship battle. Right. Uh, that I mean, let's just cover off a few things real quick. I'll cover cover off Robin Freitz because he's nice. Um, returned to Formula E 
did the World Endurance Championship race last uh, or a couple of weeks before in Sebring. Said he was kind of fine there, but basically was struggling with getting up to speed in the Formula E car. Because when you think about it, they'd, he'd done like one day of testing in Valencia, two practice sessions and a qualifying session. And that was actually it. That was all of his the running he'd done. So ev- all the other drivers have uh, four extra races the, compared to him. So he said just for him, it was it was that sort of was the issue for as far as he was concerned, was just being a bit rusty in the, in the new Formula E car. Well, not even rusty because he never really did any driving to get the rust on. Uh, and Sam, the Brazilians, what happened to them? A shame. A shame, yeah. Not much for the home crowd to shout about Lucas de Grassi clipped the wall unfathomably you know I don't think I've seen an accident like I mean there have been accidents like that but so stark was 2017 yeah but just an odd one hitting the apex like that I mean I don't know if it was just a a lapse of concentration I'm I'm pretty sure it was Um, which begs the question was was Lucas too preoccupied at the weekend with everything that was going on off the track. I mean, I, I I actually didn't speak to him. I couldn't get anywhere near him. There was about 1,500 Brazilians all over him. <laughs> but I, I, I just got the sense that he was pulled um, always last weekend, did obviously loads of great promotional work for his home race, something which he's been dreaming about for the last decade. Um, but it just... I just got the feeling maybe it was all a bit too much. And um, he did make this mistake in qualifying, which w- was a rookie error that you're not used to seeing um, Degrassi make that's for sure I mean that car is is um, challenging and but at least they got a race this time at least they were on the grid um, after fixing their rear suspension issues from from Cape Town which saw them withdraw of course his race he saw some some progress I think he finished 13th in the end but again you know Lucas Degrassi isn't made for uh, for finishing 13th position so uh, a difficult one for him Sergio Sete camera was was quick he should have been I think around about seventh or eighth on the grid but unfortunately got his lap taken away from him for a, for a technical issue which triggered a red flag which is a slam dunk in the regulations but look if it's a technical issue slightly unfair in a way but it is what it is he went down the grid um got his time disallowed and from there his race was a a little bit anonymous to be honest i think he had some car damage um and he he just sort of ebbed away and finished finished right at the back so yeah a a really difficult one for sete cameron actually neo 333 in uh in total really after tictum's uh dennis outrage (laughs) uh right well I think we'll leave it there to be honest really great race in in sao paulo and we've had we've mexico was a bit i was a bit concerned after mexico city maybe these cars won't race very well or something the first race in diria was okay second second race was a bit more boring since then it's just gone it's just hit the roof hyderabad i came off hyderabad saying is that the best formula race ever then suddenly Cape Town maybe was a bit better, but pro- maybe not. Maybe Sao Paulo was better. I don't know. We're being treated to such a great season. And now we head to Berlin in a month or so, um, a track that everybody knows very well, but that doesn't actually mean they know what to do there, Sam. I think there's going to be a lot of stressed engineers heading to Berlin because the amount of times I've heard from, I think from Jaguar, oh, no, we've worked out what to do in Berlin. We'll be fine this year. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult, and of course, we just don't know 
what the new cars mean on that quirky surface and and, and the that, new tires as well yeah yeah absolutely that intriguing element all those intriguing elements it's going to make it very interesting ds penske have always been or ds sorry the ds element have always been super good over there last year edo mortara was superb. We didn't talk about Maserati, but it's probably best we didn't just for the. Well, that's the, kind of. I thought, I thought we'll leave the negative story. Yeah, so I, I don't we didn't mention we, Maserati or just, or uh, or oh, Nissan or anyone. We don't really want to go there, do we? I think they just want to forget all about. Well, Maserati want to forget about their entire season so far and start again. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see who's quick there. I I could see. You know, we talked about those title protagonists. I could see a couple of cameos coming, maybe to put a few spanners into the title challenge a little bit and, and you would think that at some stage Maserati would be among those and, and we've seen that McLaren can be quick and, and, and Fenestras too with Nissan so yeah it's all, all to play for and there'll be again as ever in Formula E so many threads to try and unpick from, from this great racing Thank you very much for joining us everybody Pascal Verlein leads the Formula E world championship and uh, we will be back after his home race in berlin to discuss whatever happens over that double header weekend only the second double header of the season looking forward to it speak to you then the athletic 